The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. So, welcome everyone. So happy you're here. We're so, so um, fortunate and grateful to to welcome um, Yuanam Tupton back to Common Ground Meditation Center and to our community. Um, so. Um, Really, really an honor. So Anam Tupton, for some of you may have um, met him before. Can you hear me okay? Um, can't hear? Okay, is that better? Okay, the ice cream cone thing. Okay. So Anam Tupton was actually born in Tibet, in the Golok region of Tibet, and he spent many years since he was a young young child, um, actually, in the monastery and monastic life. And then now he's been here in the West, in Northern California, for well over 20 years. And he um, has this lovely blend of Western and Eastern um, humor and uh, presence and practice. And he really embodies the depth and breadth of the wisdom of the Dharma in such a fresh and alive and uh, beautiful way. So um, he's the guiding teacher and founder of the Dharmada Foundation in um, Point Richmond, California, which is just across the way from Spirit Rock Meditation Center with where many of you have been. And he's also an author of uh, several Dharma books, including No Self, No Problem. And he's also a poet who had written a poetry book called Big Sky that's just lovely. And uh, there's other books that he's written, like Magic of Awareness. And he has a recent, which I I'm, can't wait to dig into, a recent, trans, a recent commentary on the Heart Sutra called The Fragrance of Emptiness. So um, thank you, Anam Tupton, and uh, please share the Dharma with us. Welcome, everybody. First, uh, I would like to express my gratitude to Common Ground Sangha for inviting me again. I was here last year and a year before. I'm very happy to be here once again. I have been reflecting this afternoon about what to talk about tonight. And then some of these Buddhist verses occurred in my mind, uh, they become a little bit of uh, inspiration for my tonight's talk. One verse is uh, uh, this wonderful stanzas from um, Buddhist uh, Shastra or, or text composed by or revealed by Indian master known as uh, Ajaya Asanga, he was a Mahayana Buddhist master. In that text, he 
talked about uh, the logical or the successiveness of how suffering comes into being by using this uh, Indian cosmology according to some Indian cosmology then in the beginning there was this empty space it's neither good nor bad if we have to categorize that uh, primordial space into good or bad then it would be good, it would be benevolent and then upon that uh, space and then the event one of the major elements arises upon that then the element of water comes into being, and then upon that, uh, the earth comes into being. And then he said that uh, if we trace back, all our suffering comes from or situated on the karma and the klesha. Klesha is a, a Sanskrit word. Uh, they often translate it as a mental defilement. And then he said that they're all dependent, they all arise from the uh, improper, I hope I'm translating it correctly, improper attention. In Tibetan, Sirjan Man Yishid, in Sanskrit, most probably, Yoniso Manaskara. But then he said uh, that rely on this, uh, what do we call the Buddha nature. Hope this gave you a little bit of clear image that how all this uh, development uh, rely on each other in the same way all these elements rely on each other. When rise from the other. So anyway, he basically said that uh, many of our suffering, human suffering comes from karma and klesha and then but uh, uh, goes back to the the improper uh, attention. I believe that uh, this is also talked quite a lot in the Pali Sutras, Sajjan Mahambhisya. And then I thought it would be nice to talk about uh, the, the power of uh, our attention in general uh, because uh, our attention, our mental attention has lots of uh, influence on our experience of uh, reality and uh, our uh, right now present experience. And then uh, as you know, perhaps Mark will help me if I misquote it, <laughs> uh, because he's a Pali a Sutra scholar, and whereas I don't know enough the Pali Sutras, but uh, I came across this uh, very inspiring parable from one of the Pali Sutras, maybe it's called Yoniso uh, Manasukra Sutra, where this uh, monk was supposed to be meditating in the forest, but then he somehow got lost in this uh, 
not very good, unwholesome or improper attention where he, his mind is very much lost, obsessively in worldly desires, ill will and hatred and desire to harm others. Then devata, which means a deity, the deity from the forest was quite uh, omniscient and uh, knew what was happening in the, the consciousness of the monk. Then that devata felt very sympathy with this monk and wanted to help him. And then then Devata approached the monk and said, uh, basically, if you just allow yourself to be lost in this uh, unwholesome attention, then I don't remember every line, but there's a really interesting line that says, you'll be chewed by your own thoughts. <laughs> but if you put your mind on, concentrate on, the, the three jewels, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, and then without any doubt, you will experience a joy, a rapture. You will be something like uh, saturated by happiness. Or, and that will be the end of stress and unhappiness. Uh, and then that moment, uh, the monk was able to come back to his senses. And so anyway, this is a very interesting Parable, because I feel that uh, in many ways uh, this whole world is like that forest where this monk was lost in his uh, thoughts, and that monk is sometimes maybe kind of archetype to really represent uh, pretty much uh, the mind of the collective, the whole human mind. Uh, maybe we can all relate to that, that monk quite often. And then, and somehow that the devata, that deity, may be represent uh, this uh, innate uh, wisdom that we all have. So, uh, traditionally, they can talk about quite a little bit of sometimes uh, maybe profound, but also quite philosophical ideas about uh, this. Uh, wholesome attention, unwholesome uh, attention when it uh, goes into all these concepts of no-self uh, and permanence uh, which you will not get into that uh, even though perhaps you already know it. Uh, um, but uh, I would like to talk about uh, the power of intention. And we also have a choice how to work with our attention as well as also our Mind. And basically, uh, there's a, a human mind is a very gifted, uh, and then we can right now even use our mind's capacity to turn our attention anywhere we like. We have a, a lot of choice over our attention. And then uh, often as a, uh, maybe... A, human habit, uh, automatically, uh, we tend to turn our attention towards uh, negativities and uh, all the existing problems. Some of them are real, but some of them are maybe a little bit uh, imaginary because when you pay attention to problems, all the time they keep getting bigger and bigger. (laughs) And they get sometimes bigger than the reality itself. 
And then whereas uh, there's also a kind of wholesome attention, so we might like to just uh, recognize that uh, we are like that monk and we all have this uh, very old, uh, almost karmic or maybe even evolutionary tendency in each of us, which is uh, to uh, pay attention to all the negativities, all the problems that are happening in the world right now, all the problems that happened, all the problems that might arise. And then as a result, uh, sometimes maybe we are indulging in many ways, unhappiness, being stressed out, fearful, and uh, not finding any magic and beauty in the everyday life. This is not to say that we should totally shut down our mind and to pretend that everything's a perfect, uh, lovely, which is also not true. <laughs> it's the reason tell you somebody told me this uh, joke about uh, the first um, unmanned commercial aeroplane and uh, a group of people decide to buy ticket and to fly that first unmanned commercial aeroplane and they all went inside and then the this computer, there's a robot will speak to them, said now please wear a seat belt and then the robot, the computer announced that uh, this is a in the human history, the first unmanned commercial flight, welcome to the board. Please just push these buttons and then we'll serve you whatever you want. And then the plane started flying and then also this robot kept saying, nothing can go wrong, don't worry, nothing can go wrong, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> nothing can go wrong, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> And you know that something went wrong. <laughs> the computer kept repeating, nothing can go wrong, nothing can go wrong. It's like that. If you just tell that everything is perfect, uh, that's also not true. Things are not perfect. Uh, I don't think that's the uh, problem for many people. But that can be a problem for maybe some spiritual practitioners. Uh, there are some these uh, spiritual practitioners who spend many, many years in the snowy mountains in Malaya and they just uh, kept meditating and they are working with all these uh, sacred uh, mandalas in their mind where they maybe feel that the world is perfect, there's no uh, imperfection in the world. Uh, and that can be, of course, a form of a denial or escapism. And that actually sometimes can happen too. Uh, even I see that quite often in myself. Uh, for example, as a Mera introduced over me, we have a, a, this a temple where we get together four times a month and I give a talk twice every month. And then we also sometimes uh, perform traditional Buddhist ceremonies. And these ceremonies are very 
enchanting and has lots of uh, visualizations. Uh, by the way, we did a whole day ceremony on last uh, such a day with lots of uh, traditional musical implements like uh, a small drum, then big drum, then bell. And then uh, everybody played the music, and then also there was lots of uh, visualizations in that uh, ceremony where you visualize yourself as uh, this uh, uh, Buddha, this uh, Buddha called, uh, or female Buddha called uh, Vajrayogini, and then you visualize all these uh, Buddha's paradises everywhere in your body, and then you visualize their dancing, and not only that, you will sing all this uh, chant with a very devotional melody. So I felt uh, very happy for a moment. I thought, oh, this is, all this such amazing place. Then we left the temple. We had to drive through on the highway where there are all these oil refineries. <laughs> you know, the rich man is uh, famous for having all these oil refineries. And, and then also we saw, unfortunately, lots of trash on the, ground, and then my joy was totally lost in that very moment. Uh, I thought, oh, the world is not perfect as uh, what I experienced. So it's good to have sometimes a, a balance between being realistic, but also maybe learn to be sometimes uh, optimistic or to have uh, sometimes a happy and joyous uh, mind. Uh, so I'm not uh, saying that we should completely just shut down all our awareness and pretend that uh, life is always perfect, uh, everyone is happy in the world. Uh, that can be very, very tricky. There are lots of uh, problems that we have to acknowledge in this world. Uh, otherwise, we may not do anything. But on the other hand, it's also true this kind of karmic evolutionary habits in each of us that we tend to uh, concentrate on the negativities, negativities about life, our own life, as well as also the whole uh, uh, fairness in this uh, world to the extent that uh, we become sometimes very unhappy, stressed out, fearful, more than we need to be. Uh, a psychologist uh, said a uh, while ago that, that there are three things that we human beings are afraid of. He said the first is uh, uh, death, which totally makes sense. Second is actually other people. <laughs> and then third, their own mind. People are really afraid of their own mind. <laughs> And uh, because uh, when they look inside, they kind of know what is happening. I always tell people when they come to this uh, week-long meditation retreat, uh, as a warning sign, I tell that uh, we're going to be here for six or seven days. Just uh, be prepared that the first two or three days, we feel we are going to, or we are sticking our heads in the garbage can all day. <laughs> I hope this makes sense if you have a meditation. <laughs> and then some people write to me, no, to indirectly say, well, 
It's supposed to be very beautiful. I'm supposed to have all this bliss, but it's not happening. As a, even the opposite happening, I'm fearful. I'm, I can't fall asleep anymore. My joints are in pain. I'm very much irritated. Do you have any kind of advice, or am I doing wrong? Or maybe your instruction might be flawed, <laughs> right? <laughs> as, as a meditation instructor. <laughs> and then I tell, don't worry, just remember, for three days we are going to stick our head into garbage. <laughs> and then on the, maybe if we are really lucky, on the third day or fourth day, there are going to be some uh, break through and you may feel a little bit more bliss and uh, love and compassion, but stay for a while. Just like that, uh, uh, our uh, human mind in general is very much filled with uh, lots of uh, guilt, shame, anger, fear, paranoia, and, uh, and sometimes quite uh, destructive thoughts, like the desire to even harm others and so forth. And therefore, you know, we human beings are afraid of our mind if you look inside. Uh, and it's very good to acknowledge that uh, habits. Uh, uh, also somebody, or maybe this saw another story, but in the old Buddhist tradition, there's this uh, idea that uh, the real change happens once we can acknowledge our own habits. And uh, there's almost this kind of firm belief in the Buddhist tradition that uh, that no really change can happen in our consciousness until we acknowledge our own suffering, our own tendencies, our own whatever you like to call the klesas or the, uh, that all this state of mind that causes a suffering. There's a, this uh, Buddhist uh, liturgy that uh, somebody sent to me. It turns out to be a very famous verse that they chant at Zen Buddhist temples. Right now I forgot it, but it was very moving. It says something like that, uh, I'm here to avow, to acknowledge all the karma that I've been carrying from beginless beginning. This uh, is really to kind of go inside and acknowledge our own suffering as well as acknowledge our own kleshas, our own inner defilements, as well as also acknowledge uh, uh, these states of mind, this uh, old tendency that is causing unnecessary suffering in our everyday life. So here, this is a to just go inside and recognize that uh, we are all are sharing this uh, very much uh, old evolutionary tendency, which is to focus, concentrate on the negativities. Whereas uh, and life is a much more multi-dimensional. There's so many things happening in each and every moment. Uh, but our 
minds, human mind has a tendency to recognize what's wrong and then concentrate on it and then even make it uh, solid and bigger than it is. Uh, for example, if you walk into a, a room and imagine that the room is utterly beautiful, maybe they hired a very famous feng shui master <laughs> to just uh, arrange everything in a proper fashion and imagine that they put beautiful flowers, but uh, then maybe something is not working, maybe the fan is not working, or maybe there's a broken glass. Our mind immediately goes to what's wrong, that broken glass or that fan that is not working, and completely exclude everything else, the whole magic from our awareness. This is true also when we draw our intention towards uh, somebody. Imagine uh, that uh, somebody is in your awareness. Uh, everyone is very much a multi-dimensional. Human beings are very complex, very multi-dimensional. We're not uh, one-dimensional. And also not only that, we're always uh, changing, but uh, imagine that uh, there's somebody appears in your awareness, either you are thinking of somebody or you meet with somebody, and then that person might have so many wonderful attributes, kindness, uh, courage, uh, but if that person shows uh, some problem or some negative sign, as their personality, and then maybe we will forget to recognize the whole divinity, the holiness of that individual human being, and then we will form this uh, very negative mental image of that person, which is only maybe just uh, one aspect of that person, and then we may think that person is uh, like whatever, stingy or greedy or, or unkind, uh, and so forth. And this is also we do all the time. Like when you, for example, drive on the highway, and there's so much happening, and you can look around, there's so much happening even on the highway or wherever you go. You can look at the sky, the clouds dancing on the sky, beautiful trees, but uh, if there's some problem, maybe uh, some trash is in front of you, our mind immediately goes there and to somehow experience that the whole earth is uh, very much uh, covered in that trash, which is not true. And then we are also constantly experiencing lots of uh, negativities, negativities regarding our life and regarding the, the whole political affair of the world, which has lots of truth. And then, and sometimes we worry about the whole world too much, and then if we Stop worrying about the world, then we end up worrying about ourselves. But then 
that's say we stop worrying about ourselves, then mind actually pick up another reason, another object to worry about. We can worry about uh, somebody else. We can spend pretty much all day worrying and being totally fearful. Or we can worry about that maybe the sky is going to fall down eventually. <laughs> the sky is going to fall apart and crash all over us. So it seems that uh, many of our unhappiness, either stress or anxiety or fear that we are experiencing, are actually product of that uh, very old evolutionary tendency, which is uh, being totally fixed in an unwholesome attention. And once we recognize it, then there's a way that we can change that whole mindset. In the Buddhism, one of the methods they use to overcome this tendency is uh, the cultivating wholesome attention. As this uh, Devata said, uh, Put your mind on the three jewels. Let's talk about uh, how we can cultivate uh, the wholesome attention. This is actually very beautiful practice, very also universal practice. Uh, as all of you know, that there are three jewels in Buddhism, and they have sometimes uh, images represent uh, the three jewels. Uh, I was uh, sharing some. Rituals we did back in Tibet with my friend Mark, William, and Amira at the lunch break. And that is about uh, observing this uh, uh, kind of semi-fasting ceremony uh, as a monastic. I was a monastic for many years uh, and missed some of those uh, lifestyles. And one of the ritual that we had to do every day is that uh, during the lunch we had to sit and then we would have a little container of water and then before we began to eat we had to chant uh, this uh, sutra known as uh, the remembrance of three jewels which has a few pages and then you go through whole sentences all this uh, process talking about the sublime quality of Buddha who is embodiment of love, compassion, peace, etc. And then another this uh, process that you recite that describe all the goodness of the Dharma, the path to enlightenment, that is auspicious in the beginning and the middle and the end. And then there are another process that talked about the goodness, the Sublime qualities of Sangha. So by the end of the chant, you're kind of really happy because <laughs> you're, you're thinking something very positive, right? Does that make sense? You, your mind is totally now in this uh, very positive, benevolent concentration where you have been concentrating, paying attention to all this uh, kind of uplifting, wholesome, noble, 
wonderful holy attributes of uh, the Buddha Dharma Sangha, and then and then after that you eat, food becomes quite delicious because now you're in a good mood. <laughs> and then we chant another prayer to finish the the whole the ceremony. There is actually this whole tradition in all Buddhism, which is meditation on the the golden image of Buddha. And sometimes this sounds a little bit maybe very Buddhist, but actually this is a very universal practice that uh, we can all try. A uh, very famous uh, Mahayana Buddhist sutra known as the Samadhi Ranja, the queen of Samadhi, in which uh, uh, one verse said that if you imagine the golden Buddha, you are in a perfect samadhi, you are in perfect meditative absorption. Just like that, there's a, there's a practice in all, in all Buddhist traditions where they visualize Buddha, the golden Buddha, just like the image of Buddha that you find in Buddhist monasteries. Uh, and uh, I thought one time, oh, this is too simple, too basic. Uh, I should do meditation that is much more complex, more profound, like just visualizing on Buddha is like some kind of meditation for dummies or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually have been uh, kind of meditating on the Buddha and recommending that. uh, You know, you notice that uh, tonight when I offer the meditation guidance, I ask people to feel the spontaneous joy. It's very easy sometimes, but other times for me it's a little bit difficult to experience a spontaneous joy. So sometimes I think of certain things that make me very happy. One of the images that makes me really happy right away is when I visualize Buddha, I'm always happy. I don't know, except the problems I forget to visualize Buddha when I needed it. You know, there are things that make you happy, like maybe you can visualize your pet. Do you have a pet? Uh, yeah, Lhasa Apso, they make you really happy. Lhasa Chivava, it's very difficult to be unhappy if you think of your Lhasa Apso or Chivava. <laughs> or your loved ones. Then it's very easy to be happy, but visualizing Buddha actually brings about joy. That's why there's a whole practice in Buddhism known as Buddha Anusamrti, where you visualize the image of Buddha. And uh, maybe this is a very cultural habit for me because I grew up in Buddhist culture and we all, of course, uh, hold Buddha in a very high regard. We develop this uh, affinity with Buddha. So for us, just visualizing the image of Buddha changes our consciousness because it associates naturally with all these wonderful principles, love, happiness, joy. And maybe this doesn't work with the people who haven't gone up Buddhist culture, but it might work. Did I tell the story about Two or three years ago, a neighborhood decided to, at least somebody in the neighborhood in Auckland, city of Auckland, decided to put a sacred altar in the public place. 
and they put the image of Buddha and Kuan outside. Then after a while, the people in the neighborhoods who are not Buddhist start uh, complaining about this uh, shrine in the public area. So there was a, a neighborhood meeting and to get everybody's opinion on what to do with this shrine that has all the sacred images, Buddha and Kuan. Then they learned that after arrival of that altar, the level of domestic violence and crime went down in that neighborhood. And therefore, they decided to keep that altar. <laughs> it was in the news everywhere in the area. It was becoming some kind of pilgrimage sites for a while. And of course, then people tend to forget the news. <laughs> they don't hear so much about it. But, but it must be, these images must have some kind of universal art, universal kind of some sort of art that has the ability to invoke something really positive, like love, appreciation, gratitude, enjoy. Uh, I visited uh, many years ago this town called uh, Insnada in Mexico. And then this uh, family turned their, their uh, this uh, small shop into a Buddhist temple. This shop has a true Sections. One is the shop, another section is where they come together and meditate. And then they told me that uh, uh, another Buddhist group built an image of Tara, Green Tara, the mother of all the Buddhas, on the top of a hill in in Snada, which is maybe one hour away from Tijuana. They created this Buddhist goddess. It's a very Catholic country, but they told me there's a group of people, there's young girls, teenagers from that town, they're all Catholic, decided to form a clan called the Tara clan. And they always come there and take care of the statue and put flowers. So this Buddhist group don't, didn't have to worry about looking after the statue. And they told me that... Uh, Whoever goes there, when they look at the statue, they feel this uh, wonderful joy. And uh, maybe some of these images have some kind of universal artistic quality to invoke uh, peace and uh, uh, serenity. And just like that, uh, I think uh, it's very powerful time for us to bring some of these simple practices like uh, changing our focus and the attention of our mind and to have a little bit of balance. This is not to say that we all should be always happy every day and not to look at the problems happening in the world. Of course, we want to be very much conscientious about uh, all these problems unfold in the world ecologically, politically. Uh, if we don't uh, pay attention to them, then the world would not change. And also, 
of course there are some uh, real concrete uh, issues, personal issues that you want to pay attention to. But the problem is that there is kind of imbalance happening in our consciousness, our, our minds of the collective. And we are, we, I think, concentrating very much uh, on the negativities and all the problems in the world. And then we feel very much uh, all the time fearful and our mind is filled with all this uh, negativities. Uh, so it's good to have this uh, balance. Uh, and of course, the, the meditation is the best method. But also, uh, maybe sometimes it's good to bring some of those rituals. Rituals like visualization is a form of a ritual, like visualization of a Buddha. Or how about a chant? Chant is very wonderful. I wonder how many people chant here in your everyday life. Uh, uh, of course, I'm not asking the Dharma teachers, but uh, among the audience, does anybody chant? Can you raise your hands? Oh, yeah, yeah. It would be nice to see that uh, uh, many of you chant. Ch- chanting is very wonderful uh, because uh, it is a form of a ceremony that actually changes immediately the the attention of our consciousness, the focus of our consciousness, and it kind of stops immediately that uh, continuation of all the negativity in our mind. It creates this wonderful sacred pause in which that we can experience uh, the holiness of everything, and then appreciation, sacred. We often experience this a sense of a sacred when we do ceremony or when we chant. It doesn't really matter what chant you do, either in Pali or Sanskrit or in Tibetan, or you can even do a Hindu chant or a Christian chant. But I feel that the Chanting has its power to create space in your consciousness where you feel the sacred, the sacredness of everything. There's one story that I want to share, the power of a chant as a ceremony, there was this very famous uh, Buddhist teacher in Tibet. His name was uh, very long, Cheo Very loved uh, Dharma teacher, most probably from 19th century. Uh, Bandit came there, who was uh, very old. And then he went to see this uh, Dharma master, said... Uh, I've been bended all my lifetime. I feel very bad. And now I want to study with you. Please take me as your disciple. Then Chevrinzin Shimmo right away accepted the request of this bandit. And then Chevrinzin Shimmo tried to teach him how to meditate, how to chant this very complex Buddhist uh, liturgies, which he couldn't learn. He had this very strong resistance. Then one day, 
they both were sitting outside, weather was extremely warm. It is said that the Chevrinzin Chemu had this very unusual uh, facial structure, and uh, he had uh, this uh, holes around on his uh, face or something like that. And he was also sweating in that moment with uh, the heat. And then this bandit, this former bandit, looked at him and said, your face reminds me of a Raksha Mala. Raksha Mala is a prayer beads, a rosary in Indian Tibet that is very rough. And then the Chevrinzin Shema said, well, this is the mantra that you are writing for, and now you can leave me. We, we don't have any more business together, so I'm no longer going to teach. I have nothing to teach you, just to go away and recite this phrase. Your face looks like Rakshamala 100 million times. <laughs> and somehow he said yes, and he left his master, and he just kept traveling all over Tibet as a wandering yogi, monk, and then he just kept reciting, counting literally this phrase, your face looked like Rakshamala. And then one day he had this very profound awakening once he finished that assignment. And he became actually quite a wonderful Dharma teacher towards the end of his life. And then when you look at this uh, practice, there's no really mystery. Basically, maybe he was uh, constantly thinking of the presence of the teacher, whom he had all this uh, uh, very positive attitude. Maybe he believed his teacher was a very, very wholesome embodiment of love and compassion. So basically, for him, for days and days, he didn't have time to think about anything else except the face of his teacher. And that he has this kind of association, mental association, that his teacher is this embodiment of love, a kind of compassion. So actually it worked for him, and he had this very profound awakening. And therefore, um, I think it's very powerful to meditate, of course, and then to have sometimes a little bit of ceremonies, rituals, like visualization of Buddha, or to, to chant, either you understand or need, you can chant in Pali, uh, we, we always chant uh, the uh, Buddhist uh, prayer, refuge, always refuge uh, in Sanskrit, but you can chant in the Pali as well. And then Pali has so many very beautiful chants. Uh, uh, my friend James Barras, uh, um, who is a wonderful Dharma teacher at Spirit Rock, invited me often to give a talk. And then I remember and that they always he always did this very beautiful chant in Pali, uh, which was the dedication prayer, and uh, uh, quite uh, inspiring. I thought I should try to memorize uh, the chant in Pali. You know, Pali sounds so very uh, lovely, like uh, Sanskrit. Uh, uh, of course, I could chant in Tibetan, but Pali and Sanskrit have very nice sound sometimes. <laughs> Very uplifting when you chant in them. So I'm sure here uh, Mark is uh, teaching, perhaps you're also chanting already in Pali, but also it would be really nice to 
take uh, some chant in your everyday life and recite it. You don't have to worry about understanding the meaning of the chant. Chant is a ceremony sometimes, not even some kind of philosophical discourse. It's just uh, when you just mix the sound, either you understand or not, it creates this uh, space in your conscience where you feel this, uh, the sacred, the sacredness of all things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, thank you, everybody. Can I invite all of you to chant? Yes, yes. And this is a, 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 a Heart Sutra mantra, mantra from the Heart Sutra. It goes, uh, uh, originally, it goes Gaten Gaten Parangate Parasamgate Bodhisattva, but the, we Tibetans like to add, so we added Om. Om Gaten Gaten Parangate. So they say the neurosis of Tibetan people is that they want to always add. <laughs> so, so, but maybe in Zen they say, Gati, Gati, Parangati, Parasam, Gati, Bodhisattva. So we add that Om. We add Om to pretty much everything. <laughs> so, Om, Gati, Gati, Parangati, Parasam, Gati, Bodhisattva. The meaning is a uh, Gone, gone, gone beyond, gone beyond, completely water waking in. There's a very simple melody. Please feel free to do harmony if you want. But let me chant once and then you are all welcome to join and please feel free to do harmony. Om Gati Gati Paragati Parasam Gati Ah uh... 
Chant here from here. Can you leave the chant here. <laughs> uh, or people could ask you questions too if we have a few minutes. Steve, uh, would you like to do more chanting? Maybe chanting. Yeah. Yes. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And maybe enough people who know the the suffusion with the divine abidings in English. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. My, my, I I don't do so much here here because I feel. Everything I've spoken, I can mess it up again. <laughs> so, so maybe you do chant it? Yeah, please. So, Nam Di Tham Che Zikpa Nye Tum Nye Nye Bi Jan Nam Pam Si Khan Kyer Ga Nam Si Ba Long Tru Bai Tru Bi Yung So Li Joa Ru 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 Kibanyamba, 
Thank you, thank you for the invitation. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.